Hi, this is Pastor Wilson. Thank you so much for joining our podcast, Renew Church OC, where we pre- present different sermon series that I hope will enrich your life. The next six weeks, we'll be going through our series, Unstuck, where we go through six stages of spiritual development and how we can progress from one stage to another while appreciating each stage that we're in. I hope it helps you on your spiritual journey as you get a landscape of where God is taking you now and where He's taking you in the years to come. God bless. Oh, we made it to church! Woo! So I had this funny epiphany as I was driving this morning, and I was crying out to the Lord, and I was like, why would you do this? Why would you take an hour for me, from me? And then he said, have you forgotten already that I gave you an hour? Are you also called Israel? And I said, forgive me, Father, for my sins are great. So we made it. Um, we're going to crack into this series. I want you guys to get cozy. We're going to start off with a question this morning. I want you guys to turn to your neighbors into pods of two or three and ask yourself, what is a gift or talent uh, that you're most proud of, that you believe the Lord has given you? Okay, we're going to come back in five minutes. Okay. Wow. We have a lot of talented people here. A lot of talents. A lot. Well, it's time for me to share my talent. Uh, so it's my turn. Um, so a, a talent of mine, I'm just going to put it really bluntly. I found out at a very, very, very young age. Um, my talent that God gave me is talking a lot and being really loud. I remember as the youngest child, I'm from a family of six, and so you really have to insert yourself to just acknowledge that you exist. And so I just find, <laughs> that was a sad joke. Sorry to the youngest child. For all the youngest children, I'm with you in solidarity. It was seven years old that when I first discovered this talent, I had just had my Game Boy taken away from me, and I started to scream. And then all of my older brothers began to stuff my face with pillows to drown out my powers but my powers were still overcoming their pillows. It was 12 years old when it was confirmed during a sleepover um, when the next day my friend's mom came out front and said, Kevin, I heard the whole thing. I think you should just ask her out. (laughs) And then it was really confirmed with me in marriage when I'm sitting with my wife on a lovely date and then she rolls her eyes and I said, what was that? why'd you roll your eyes at me? And she says, I'm so sorry, but you just talk so much. You talk a lot. I mean, a lot. And then I just realized I've tapped and exhausted all my resources. So lately I've been turning to this thing called voice memos on my phone. And it's where I just get to hear myself and talk to myself and hear myself and talk to myself. And we have lovely conversations. Um, (laughs) But it wasn't that I confirmed that this was a gift until I was 19 years old. And when the Lord showed to me that it was truly a gift and one I didn't expect. Uh, I was about four months old into the Christian life. And so I was a baby in the Lord and um, truly felt like I wasn't a baby. I was the baby that said, I'm not a baby. And I remember distinctly that my youth pastor was saying, hey, Kev, we're hopping in the van. We're going to uh, a high school. We're going to deliver 10 pizzas to 80 youth students that are going to hear the gospel. 
I said, you got it. I'm the pizza guy. You're the message guy. And he said, yeah, I'm the message guy. You're the pizza guy, Kevin. I said, yeah. And I showed up to this classroom of 80 students that I didn't know. And my youth pastor calls me and he said, hey, Kev, I'm not going to be the message guy. And I said, what, who's going to be the message guy? And he said, I'm actually not showing up. You're the message guy. I said, I'm not the message guy. I'm the pizza guy. And then the teacher gives a wonderful introduction to someone named Pastor Kevin and says, let's give it up for Pastor Kevin for bringing pizzas and the word. Oh, man. So that day I was loud. I was proud. I don't remember half of it. Pretty much all of it was just regurgitated from probably something I heard from Greg Laurie or something. But then, miraculously, by God's will, um, that day, students came up and prayed to receive the Lord that day. Uh, It was the first time that I think being loud and proud was used, and um, it was a talent that everyone told me it wasn't, but I knew deep down God would use it all along. So if you've been with us in our series, we're continuing this idea of healthy, uh, of, of unstuck, our series, and the six stages of the spiritual journey. And today in our stage three, we're kind of talking through this idea of productivity in the believer's life, in our life, and uh, what that means for us. And so we're kind of navigating as a community this idea, this book of spiritual formation um, through this book, The Critical Journey, and it outlines the stages in this journey uh, that we experience as Christians. It's talking about um, the ones that we're still in, the ones that we've yet to face. And when we think about being formed in the likeness of Christ and the multifacets that come with that, that it's really, it goes much beyond physical, being made in his image, but there's these relational, there's these emotional, mental, and certainly spiritual formation that is taking place. And so in this critical journey that we're going through, we're moving from one's enemies of the cross to babes raised on milk and hopefully to maturation and adults on solid food. And so the first stage that we see Roy, Wonder, Roy and Wilson took us through is this moment of when we come to see God for the first time in our life. It's this moment when the Lord becomes real to us. He reveals himself to us, and we finally see him. The second stage is, um, was led through us by, uh, so wonderfully by Kristen and Jonathan. And it's talking about the discipleship Uh, that we have in Jesus, our apprenticeship to him, how we are learning the early foundations of what it looks like and means to even pray, what it means to listen and look out for the Spirit's voice over our lives, to read and understand his word. And so now we find ourselves in stage three. This is also called the productivity stage. It's called the doing stage. It's called the power by achievement And um, Janet Hagbird and Robert Gulich, who wrote this book, um, they define the stage as a time where us guys at church move the most chairs in our life. (laughs) Until they get married, of course, and then they stop. But, uh, But really, a quote out of it is that it's the period, stage three is the period of time when we most consciously find ourselves working for God. Our faith is characterized by being in God's service and having gone through the apprenticeship and discipleship period, we are ready to do it on our own and even help others uh, to learn to do what we have discovered. Um, To be honest, it's a wonderful time in the Christian's journey in their lifetime where they are contributing to the revitalization of the church, 
there's almost this palpable excitement to, to finally be feeling like you're a part of this community and serving and you get it and you're following the Lord and you're exercising these gifts and it just feels like you're a part of something bigger than you. And so for many churches and communities, it's this time when a lot of wonderful work is done. Programs are being started, outreach and initiatives into the community. There's this ownership of not just seeing the people here before us as, as citizens, I don't know what else, citizens, or, but truly as neighbors and brothers and sisters. And so we really see these real experiences with the Holy Spirit, the giftings, the exhortations, the care, the helps, the community service, and leading other people in their relationship with the Lord. Uh, I kind of said this myself, but in the words of the great theologian, Katy Perry, I said that this stage is the time in your life that you realize that, baby, you're a firework. And another way of putting it is probably much better is by Paul when he says in Romans 8 that if God is for us, who can be against us? And so it begs the question, stage three, this life of productivity begs the question, what does following Jesus look like in our own lives, our own callings, the way the Lord has shaped us, the way that he's brought formative experiences, the ways that he's uh, molded us, and in service to uh, the kingdom and in service to the community here. So maybe I can't answer that personal question for you, but we're gonna map, we're gonna, uh, map it out and some things to think about. A quote I love is by David Brooks. He's this columnist for New York Times. Um, he says that, um, you know those commencement speakers at graduation that everyone kind of tunes out all the time? And then at the last bit of part, they just punch it through with something really exciting. Um, he says that these guys, those guys, are always telling the young people to follow your passions, be true to yourself, reach for the stars, set sails, but at the end of the day, it's truly just beginning with self and ending with self. But those that are on the road to character growth do not find their vocation or their calling by asking, what is it that I want to do with my life? But they ask, what is life asking of me? What is God asking of me? And how can I match my talents, the intrinsic things that God has given me, to match it with the world's deepest needs? I love this because it's the idea that the productive life is not just about how I'm just serving out of my own gifts and my own strengths and my talents, but it's how are we making a difference for the Lord in the world around us. And I believe that there's biblical precedent for this. So if you're with me, please take out your Bibles, your smartphones, and turn to Matthew 25. And we can see more of God's heart for us in the productive life. This is also known as the parable of the talents. I'm going to drink some water before I read. All right, let's, let's jump into it. Verse 14 says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. So the master is investing a large sum of money. He's investing talents. And he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. I think of this allocation as God's grace. God gave Jeremy Lin five talents. He maybe gave me like one. But he gives according to our ability so that we may succeed. Who knows that our limits can be a blessing? And so verse 17 goes on to say, so also he who had, who had the two talents made two talents more. He was productive with it. 
But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled uh, the accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter now into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two more. His master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. What's so flagrant here is that the man with one talent is willingly he received what is the master's, and for a long time he chose chose to do nothing with it, not even to attempt or try, but just hid it in the ground. Verse 26 says, but his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was my own interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 for to everyone who has, uh, who has will be more given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Such warm and comforting words from Jesus this morning. Um, But let's take a look at this idea of the productive life in these servants. I have four claims about the productive life. If you uh, track back with me to the start in verse 14, one claim that I'm making is that every servant has been entrusted with something. And so if you are here and you are following the Lord and you know him, he has given you a talent, maybe five, maybe two, maybe one. And the context of this uh, passage is that talents is used as a measurement at this time. It could be seen as like a pound or a kilo, but the heart of it is that it is of immense value and is usually in reference to gold and silver. And so the sum of it is that you could take talents and take a modern day of this parable of to what the Lord has given to you as a steward. My second claim is that in verse 21, that we possess nothing, that everything we own is really God's, even the joy that we enter into, uh, that, uh, that we enter into, that the master welcomes us into, is not even the joy of our own, but it's actually we're entering into his joy. He's allowing us to participate and even share in that. And so if we, even, we are, if we even think for a moment that all of this is actually ours, our giftings, our uh, finances, our, our possessions, our treasures are all grown and generated from this life, we're truly um, misguided and lost in that. My third claim is that God's joy is not from the number of talents, but from how we make use of them. And I think that's very clear here that the same reward is given to the, to the man that has come back with two talents as the man that came back with five talents. And so it, it shows this part of Jesus' character. It shows this aspect of his heart for us. 
that he's so much less concerned with how much we can produce, how much we can generate, how much we can do for him. And he's wholeheartedly much more concerned with our faithfulness. How are we stewarding? How are we uh, recognizing what has been given to us and aligning that back to his mission, his will for us, his desires for us? And, um, and he wants to spiritually form us in the midst of that. He wants to form us so that we could handle more, that we could be entrusted with more, that we could be a mature disciple down the road um, that he can do more through. My last claim is in verse 29. Uh, I had no fancy way of putting this, um, but I simply just thought to myself that if you don't use it, you lose it. Uh, that's something that my dad would say to me so often uh, in sports. If you don't use it, you, you lose it. And that Jesus is laying down here a, a principle of the spiritual life that anyone that, who has a talent of any kind and does not use it, that he fails to use it, is is pretty much essentially forfeiting it from their life. It is no longer in service. It's not being used. It's not profitable. It's not reaping anything. But on the contrary, for those that use their talents to their fullness, that talent develops. It grows. It matures. The stocks grow. The bonds grow. The investment doubles. And so my question is here now, is that as we think about the talents that were given, maybe five, maybe two, maybe one, but we've all been entrusted with something. The Lord has given something with purpose, and his word does not return void. And so my question is, is what are the talents that God has given you, and what might he want to produce in you and through you? I threw up a few questions that might help to help us chart through and even kind of map through how to even discern this in our own lives. Um, I found out my gifts through a 19-year arduous journey of just being loud until someone finally told me it was good. Um, but a gift that I always think about um, here when I come to Sunday service, what gives me jazz to come, is Steve and Patty. And so Steve and Patty, I'm always on the lookout for them to see when they walk through the doors because they'll always encourage me They'll always hug me, and they'll always tell me I'm doing a good job, uh, even when I'm not. And so um, on my worst days or on my roughest Saturdays, I'm rushing to Sunday to find Steve and Patty and say, where is my hug? This is your gift to offer to us and me. And so I think about the talents that they've been entrusted with, with exhortation and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so one way that we can discern this as a group is I believe that the best way to develop our gifts, the best way to know what God, how God has truly made us is in the church. I think about the spaces uh, where we first find out the gifts that we have to the Lord. I think about a lot of gospel singers. A lot of the times, or like that hit huge records, Beyonce, all those people, a lot of the times they started using their gifts of their voice at a young age in the choir or singing to the Lord, that their voice was first used in offering praise to him. You know, I think about how um, our families here and their children and the parents, that some of the most beautiful parts of serving is actually getting to serve with your son or with your daughter. There's this picture I have in my phone that I think is a picture of Wilson taking a picture, but it's him taking a picture of his son Liam, and Liam is dragging um, one chair, 
which is pretty amazing at five years old at the Meridian of him dragging one chair. But I remember him just being a dad taking a picture. And I was like, I need to take a picture of this moment because I just felt the father's joy in just participating of showing your sons and your children what it looks like to serve the Lord, to use your gifts, your energy, your joy that the children bring, and how it serves and really edifies the body here. So um, a long-winded answer to say that you guys can just read 1 Corinthians 12, and, and even asking yourselves, are these some of the gifts that I've seen in my own life, in the ways that the Lord has shaped me? Are these some gifts that have been affirmed by others in my community, by my mentors or my pastors? Um, and in kind of seeing that out and serving and offering it each Sunday as almost like a spiritual potluck in a service to each other. Um, that's one part of the productive life. My second thing is how can you use your talents in areas of influence? You know, I think about uh, our places of work, that there's, you could be the only Christian in that space, our friend groups and our families. And I think about how the Lord has fashioned and made us each, whether it's with our um, joy, whether it's wisdom, whether it's teaching, and how are we seeing that in surrender to the Lord, in submission to the Lord, to allow him to use it into not just Sundays, not just church, but into every aspect of our life. Um, my favorite part here is, um, uh, is uh, I have this friend who's at seminary, and he's a magician, so he's kind of like a half heretic. But anyways, he knows really good magic tricks, and he gets, he gets hired and everything like that. Um, we actually have uh, Yenna here and a few Biola students that got to meet him. And so he told me, he whispered to me, he said, I only learned magic for the Lord. And I said, that sounds kind of contradictory, but I, I want to hear where you go with this. And he said, I ended up doing one trick I copied on YouTube, and I was so good at it, all these people at the bar started wanting to be my friend. And then I asked him and invited them to church. And I said, that is an amazing way to use your talent. And so now everywhere he goes, he always has a deck of 52 cards in his back pocket. And um, after you get to know his name, uh, he pretty much says, can I show you a magic trick? <laughs> Which is kind of creepy when I think about it. Um, but anyways, he goes to work, family and all that. And I'm sure people have come to church because of it. Um, but then I think the other parts of our talents, right? I think about um, one of my closest friends in my friend group. And there was this season of his life where he had gotten this really, really bad news about how uh, his brother had gotten in an accident, in a family accident, was hospitalized. They just weren't really sure what was the outcome, what was going to be the outcome of that. And it's such a hard space to be in when you feel like you have no words to say, when you don't really know what is going to be the end result. And I just remember our whole family group coming around and saying, what can we offer to this friend what can we offer? Maybe a word of encouragement, maybe a meal. And so that's what we did. Everyone started to chip in. They started to make their home-cooked meals. People started to write cards. People were dropping off flowers. People were having phone calls with him. And I just think about what a beautiful picture of using our talents of, of mercy, using our talents of, of exhortation, of helps, and of course love, uh, to really wrap our arms around this brother. 
And so I just really celebrate uh, and think about all the ways that these talents, as you guys think and reflect on, and just identifying the talents that God has given you and asking yourself, have I given these talents to you, Lord, for the ways that you want to use them for your kingdom? And it's such a, I can't lie to you, I was saying that it's such a magnetic time. When I think about uh, me going around and when I preached that first time and I became the message guy, I can't tell you enough how good it felt to kind of finally feel like I found my voice, literally, but even found um, the ways that the Lord has gifted me, that I could be a schmuck and actually do something good. And, and people are affirming me in that. People are encouraging me in that. They're wanting me to develop this gift in my life. And I think it, there's a certain point where it just almost becomes addicting. There's this part where I'm almost craving it. There's a part where that, that, that talent almost can become your identity, I think, to a degree. Where it's, it started to go down this pathway of where I felt like I am the message guy now. Who wants to hear a message? And no one would raise their hand. And I would say, are you sure? I've got a message. And then I would overshare a message. But I, I think about how it became so much a part of me, like to the point where if I wasn't the message guy or people told me not to speak up or ask for my opinion, I would feel dejected. I would feel lost. I would feel like I lost my purpose. And I think that's kind of the problem here is now we're coming up against to the wall of stage three of where it really hits its limits, of where it hits its cap. That there's this part of stage three where there's this joyful act of service, but then it becomes something more. We take a good thing and turns into something more. And, and this is where Hagberg and Gulich from The Critical Journey describe this time in the stage as being caged. They describe it as being stuck. It's the shadows of the productive life. They talk about how there's these common stairs at this point of our journey uh, where, it's, uh, where the journey can look like being overzealous. It can look like burnout. It can look like self-centeredness and a life of performance. It's this thing where um, it can sound like this overzealousness to share your gifts with the world, to be always doing, 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 doing this full checklist, being the productive life, all the things. We can think of all the scriptures that call us to do those things. And we take it and uh, we start to twist it into something uh, more than that, that goes even above God. And so self-centeredness can sound like this. It believes that we are indispensable to church, that we're even indispensable to God. It's crazy. It's this part that the more productive that we become, uh, the more tempting it is to think that we're deserving of some of the glory, that we deserve a cut of the worship. And we can almost feel invincible at this point of our stage. We can almost feel like the harder we work, it equals a stronger faith, which equals I'm doing something right, and people should ought to follow or do what I'm doing. Man, I think about overzealous, and it sounds very similar. It sounds like this, uh, this viewpoint that others need what I have. So it's like this experience that I have with the Lord is so overblown. It's so over the top. It's a Jesus level 9,000 high, and that people need to experience and know what I'm experiencing. And if they're not hitting that level of high, well, then they are not on the same level or the same page. And it also can sound like this life of performance, it can look like this, uh, this whole show that we're putting on. We're serving each week. We can be um, saying yes, man, to everything. We can be doing all the right things, but it turns into this performance. 
it turns into this act or a play or a drama, and that everything in our life is going spot clean, that we're spotless. But in reality, it is a facade, that we struggle to be vulnerable with our community. We struggle uh, to look weak in front of others in, in, in fear that we're losing control. And it almost looks like we're perfect to those around us and that they begin to applaud that perfection and it's addicting and addicting and addicting. There is hope. There is hope. And our hope is in Philippians 1 through 6. And God's word says that being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so our hope is that the Lord is not done with us, that if we have breath inside our lungs, that he is continuing to work, he is continuing to shape you and spiritually form you. And so moving forward, there's five things that we can do here. Uh, In the critical journey, there's a few of them that I experience, and there's a few that I really prefer. But the first one is, is that moving forward can look like you lose a sense of certainty in your life. It's at this point where you're just really willing to ask the questions. You're, You're struggling with the big questions. You're struggling with all the things of what you thought you knew, and now the foundation has been rocked. And it's this part that ushers you more towards clinging on to God's word. A second way to move forward is experiencing a faith or personal crisis or a trauma. Um, This is one that I wouldn't wish, um, but the Lord uses everything and doesn't waste a thing. It's this idea that where uh, all the guarantees that we thought we had, when I think of 2020, that was a shared trauma and personal crisis for all of us. And I think about how our jobs, our homes, even our well-being, our health, that we thought were certainly guaranteed in a given is now rocked. And so that can certainly move us forward into maturity, into stage four. The third one is feeling abandoned, a deep sense of that, uh, of alonement, this deep sense of that everything that you knew uh, was, was taken away or it wasn't real or it was a sham. And it's just feeling like, Lord, you're not speaking uh, into it anymore. I thought it was just highs. I thought it was just level nine, cloud nine, and just keeps on going. And now we're moving to the ones that I think wisdom speaks to, uh, is that we can also look for direction to move and mature in our walk with the Lord, that we have mentors, we have pastors, we have friends and peers that can speak into our lives and we can ask them, hey, are there blind spots that I'm not aware of? Hey, as I'm making this decision, can I get feedback on what it looks like to follow the Lord here, what it looks like to be faithful here? You know, hey, have I, as I'm, as I'm screaming, as I'm loud and proud, as I'm going around and doing all these things, would you just keep me in check in this part of my life? And then lastly, a fifth one, a catalyst for moving forward, is uh, the maturity and the humility of letting go of success and accepting vulnerability. It's this idea of that um, the Lord just humbles you, and the Holy Spirit, you hear his voice, and you are just seeing that this isn't the end of it all. This isn't being productive doesn't equal um, the end goal, right? It's not the highest achievement that we could reach at stage three. And then secondly, it's accepting vulnerability, It's willing to ask the Lord the hard questions and ask him preemptively and ask him, hey, is there, is pride at play in this part of my life? Lord, Holy Spirit, would you reveal to me um, the parts that I'm not seeing? Would you move the scales back? Would you open my ears? Would you speak over so that I may be faithful and grow in you? And so these are five ways that we can move forward. 
you know, um, we're going to go to the next slide. I think it's going to just blast my face. Hold on. Boom. Okay. This isn't even that bad. I bet you guys, who expected to see this? No one, no one should be raising their hands. Um, let me just say this. This is shingles, and I'll say this. This is probably half of what, of the worstness that I had. Um, and so when I think about going through stage three, I feel like this really epitomizes the journey that I had. I felt like, um, if you knew, I was like the message guy. I was discovering my gifts. And it just found me into a whirlwind of opportunities. It found me into places I probably wasn't mature or ready enough for at the time. And people were celebrating me. People were like, it was like the Dogecoin feeling before Dogecoin. And everyone's saying, you're going to the moon, baby. We're going to do it. We're going to plant millions of churches. It's just going to be a party. And I said, let's do it. And I remember my youth pastor uh, said this one thing to me. He said, Kevin, he's like, let's get you more hits up to bat. He's like, and also I heard that there's 20 students that want to hear the gospel. And I said, just tell me when and where. And he said, I'm so glad you asked that because they're about an hour and a half away. And then I said, okay, how much do I have to see them? He said, every week. So it's the equivalence of uh, Irwin coming up to one of us and saying, hey, could you uh, teach the Bible, do a Bible study to people in San Diego, close to the border, every single week? So I said, yes. Uh, (laughs) It was a no-brainer. I said that the Lord would continue to fill me, right, at all stages. And so this moment, um, I just remember this moment where I was doing it, and one month, I just crapped out. I just crapped out. And I woke up one morning, and it started off with a rash that looked like this. And this is like maybe level three. And I just remember um, saying this rash, and I just thought, man, I must have touched some poison ivy, whatever. I didn't tell my mom, which she got mad at me for later. But um, what happened is, is that I found out that this is shingles. And has anyone had shingles before? I feel so seen. I feel so seen. Did you have it at age 19? Oh, okay. So we were both really stressed. And so I go into the university, I go to the university uh, hospital, and they told me the statistics that they said uh, one in 1,500 people uh, at your age can get shingles. And so approximately, if you're to take that to Cal State Fullerton, That means that in one year, there's only about 20 of us that get shingles the whole year out of 40,000 people, and I was one of them. And I just remember being there, and then she said, there's only one way you could have gotten this. It's an overworking amount of stress, lack of sleep, and anxiety. And I said, you just described my ministry. That's exactly what it feels like. And I just remember that the Lord, it took me a long time to realize Um, that the Lord was actually being gracious to me, that I was actually on a pathway leading towards destruction. Even when um, I was doing things all for him, I was just didn't know the amount of damage and the wear that I was doing to my own heart, or even maybe just the caps of the productive life, right? I didn't see all the signs. I didn't see the warning signs of slow down, yield, yellow, you know, yellow light ahead. I was just running through red lights, And so now when I look back, I see how the Lord had slowed me and put me to a direct halt. And he said, Kevin, this is um, becoming so much of your identity that you are thinking that you are indispensable, that your overzealousness is thinking that you have figured it all out. And, And 
you're not even even let it's this life of performance that you're doing you're running from one gig to another and he said this was the only way that i could stop you and so i see i definitely fall, uh, feel i fall myself in the camp of two of experiencing a crisis and i just want to say that i don't think that needs to be everyone's story and i just encourage us to think about what it looks like to to move forward and mature to move to stage four, that we have, uh, that you can look for direction or even humble yourself before God's word. What it looks like to ask him the hard questions of his will with your talents and maybe even the gaps and the caverns of our heart as well too. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're so thankful for you. We're thankful that you give us just what we need, Lord even when we don't see it or when we don't understand it. God, we're thankful for the brothers that have, uh, and older sisters and older brothers that have gone before us, have written this book and have charted out um, some of our spiritual life, Lord. And I pray that we as a church family would, would reflect on uh, greatly on the talents that you have bestowed upon us. And God, that we would respond with honor, Lord, asking um, where you would send us, how you would use them. And, Lord, that we would be getting ourselves out of the way. God, I just pray that you would be, um, that we could also have vision to see much beyond this stage, Lord, that there's so much more than doing. I think of Mary and Martha, Lord, how Martha was not doing anything bad, but, Lord, that Mary's was the good portion. And so, Lord, I pray that our church would choose and, and usher ourselves towards the good portion, sitting at your feet, taking in uh, your teachings, your voice, your smile, and Lord, offering everything back to you in surrender and love. We love you, Lord, and pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection helping kids bridge their faith with God's calling in their life as a businessman, as a doctor or nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal, which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood, whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-hosts together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through, um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, hope to, hear, hope to uh, have you join us again.